Hello and welcome to Working for the Word. We're back with another episode talking about letting go this article from unfoldingword.org. And just to review, we've been talking about this world of copyright that we have found ourselves in. This world of all rights reserved within Christian publishing that has caused a huge barrier for a lot of the global church having access to biblical resources and especially the resources and tools that they need for Bible translation. So I want to re-emphasize that most of these people in evangelical publishing houses did not wake up one day and say to themselves, hmm, I wonder how I can totally roadblock all the rest of the global church from getting access to the gospel and from good biblical resources by tying everything up with copyrights. I don't think that's what happened. What happened was everyone just all of a sudden found themselves in a digital world of abundance where scarcity was no longer the driving force behind all business or ministry decisions, right? So we have now this digital world of abundance where things can go exponential very easily. We can share with no cost, basically zero cost of sharing resources, whereas opposed to 20, 30 years ago, there was an extreme cost to sharing for free different resources that we had because there were physical things that needed to be reproduced. So in other words, we're not trying to demonize Christian publishers who do all rights reserved. We're not trying to paint a picture of them having nefarious motives for everything that they do. We're just trying to highlight that the world has changed and We have to adopt new models. We have to adapt and take advantage of and leverage technology to impact the kingdom of God in a greater way. And a lot of people just haven't thought through the implications of how the world has changed and how they can embrace a radically generous new paradigm. Now, we began this series of letting go with Martin Luther, right? And so looking back, let's talk a little bit more about him. Martin Luther was able to change the course of history because he lived about 400 years before the first known use of copyright to restrict access to a Bible translation. And so Luther's pamphlets and other writings just simply could not be restricted by copyright law. So the success of the Reformation, the rapid spread of ideas that changed the world forever, that we're we're all thankful for, right? was accelerated by the free and open nature of the publishing environment at the time. So this allowed, in essence, for Luther's works to go viral, for them to spread exponentially in a way that's remarkably similar to our day and age of a networked world where things can spread extremely quickly. So today we have the opportunity to experience this same kind of going viral with regard to the spread of the Word of God and the biblical resources that facilitate its study and application. So the technology, the technology already exists. We all know that. And the church, and this is what a lot of people don't know, the church in many parts of the world is highly motivated to meet their own needs for Bible distribution and scripture engagement. There are billions of people who have already equipped themselves with digital devices that could be used to read, to listen to, and to study the Word of God in their language. 
and this is very important, to legally give unlimited copies to everyone they meet. So think of your favorite Bible study program and all the resources in it, like Logos or BibleWorks, but available in every language of the world with text and multimedia content and with the freedom to print, stream, broadcast, and give away copies to everyone by any means desired. And consider that this freedom extends beyond merely giving consume-only access. It provides freedom instead to reuse the content for the creation of new theological resources that are deeply connected to and interlinked with the Bible and other resources. So imagine that world. All of this is possible. It's within reach of the global church. But we will continue to be plagued by inefficiencies until we release the Word of God from the legal restrictions that we, the church, have bound it with. So if we let go and make biblical content available under open licenses, the global church can make the most of every opportunity that the internet and mobile technology affords for advancing the Word of God. We have to realize that. We have to come to grips with that. The full capacity of the rapidly expanding, educated, connected, and motivated global church can then be unleashed to translate, distribute, and use the Word of God in every one of their spheres of influence. You think about how the rest of the world is using this technology. Well, they're using this technology to spread ads, to spread bad news, to spread bad ideas, and a lot of other horrible things that make our lives more difficult, make spread of the gospel more difficult, and all sorts of things that are obstacles to our life as Christians. So how are we fighting fire with fire is the question. While the wisdom of the world is going viral, we, instead, are keeping all of our stuff under copyright so that it won't go viral. In other words, if Martin Luther had had copyrights back then and done the same thing that we do normally most of the time with our Christian resources, the Reformation never would have happened. And instead of listening to this podcast or reading your Bible, you would probably be venerating a jewel-encrusted skeleton in Rome. So then, what is a way forward? What can the future look like if we think about these things carefully and act accordingly? If you want more detail on this, I would encourage you to read the document that I'm basing a lot of this podcast off of. So that will be linked in the description. But basically, there's two strategies for this. Number one, we would want to preserve and restrict the identifiers of the biblical content that we produce. So that means these trademarks or the branding on these products so that people know where they're coming from. But at the same time, remove unnecessary copyright restrictions on the content itself. So you can preserve who the author is and you can require attribution that people say, okay, this comes from so-and-so, but remove every other hindrance on the content itself so that people can freely translate and produce other iterations of it. So let's walk through these three specific things that we would need to do to make our content 
freely available to go exponential. So number one, it would need to permit the creation of translations and other derivative works based on the originals. Number two, it would need to encourage distribution of the content by any means available, including commercial. So a non-commercial use only restriction actually could create unnecessary hindrances to the global accessibility and usability of the content, especially when anyone in the global church needs to make the content available in physical forms with associated hard costs. So, for example, printed books, DVDs, microSD cards, etc. So, rather than attempt to scale up a global centralized distribution framework that we control, we would need to intentionally enable the entire global church to legally use commercial means whenever needed to distribute the resources wherever and in whatever way needed. So the resources have to be free, irrevocably free and open, and always available free of charge in digital formats. So anyone can legally sell the means of accessing the content, but no one is able to monopolize the distribution of the content itself. And then finally, we would have to ensure that all derivatives remain free and open. So we're working toward the creation of a new generation of biblical content in every language, content that is perpetually open and never again subject to copyright restrictions that hinder or harm the church. So, to that end, we employ a license that ensures all derivatives do not ever become the exclusive property of any one entity, including ourselves, no matter how well-intended they may be today. So, in this way, and until Jesus returns, these biblical resources will be, in effect, the common property of the global church. And the good news is that Any publisher today who has all rights reserved resources, they can change their minds and they can all of a sudden unlock their resources and start making them available under this kind of license. It's possible. It's not like they did it and now there's no going back. They can actually go back. They can change. This can totally revolutionize the world of the global church. So what license do we use to accomplish these objectives? That's the question. It's called the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. So you can go to creativecommons.org and you can look at their licenses and see these different types. So basically under this license, you're free to share and adapt under the following terms. You have to give appropriate credit, provide a link to the license, and indicate if changes were made. You may do so in any reasonable manner, but not in any way that suggests the licensor endorses you or your use. And then number two, the other condition, is the share-alike condition. So if you remix or transform or build upon the material, you've got to distribute your contributions under the same license as the original. So that's it. It's pretty straightforward and simple. Now, this brings us to the next issue or the next advantage of taking this way forward. And this is that we can use technology, we can leverage technology now to ensure the authenticity of digital content way better than copyrights can do that. So, 
What if your Bible, for instance, could alert you if it had been corrupted? Instead of blindly presenting it for consumption, what if a Bible app could notify you that a translation is unreliable and refuse to display it until an uncorrupted version has been loaded? This is actually possible today through the use of the same cryptographic technology that protects online banking and e-commerce. And if we use this technology, a Bible app can verify the identity and integrity of a digital Bible, whether text or audio, by securely comparing it to a known standard. So we have to take seriously the implications of cryptography for accelerating and expanding Bible distribution. Because distribution of digital Bibles has historically relied on a centralized, tightly controlled, quote-unquote, library model that provides limited access and depends on print-era legal restrictions to ensure authenticity. And in this ecosystem, the consumer's app connects to a server that is controlled by the maker of the app. So, for instance, version, right? It's controlled by the maker of the app in order to download data. It often depends on a trusted third party intermediating between the publisher and the user of the Bible to ensure the authenticity of the content. So, sideloading Bibles or sharing from phone to phone using Bluetooth or flash memory cards and other means of widespread redistribution are usually forbidden under this model. Now, a second distribution model implements offline distribution for digital Bibles and other biblical content by copying the digital files to flash memory cards or wireless broadcast services whereby the content can be accessed and used by mobile devices. This approach can extend the reach of the content much farther beyond the confines of the internet to where Bible poverty is often the greatest. But what's the problem? Often, it's limited by legal restrictions that hinder widespread offline distribution. So I'm convinced that we need a model that proactively welcomes the entire global church as equal players in the distribution of digital Bibles and other biblical content using whatever means is available to them with verifiable integrity and authenticity of the content. In this kind of ecosystem, all published content is signed and mobile apps for any platform are designed to cryptographically verify all content before presenting it for use. For example, flash memory cards with unrestricted biblical content in any language and media format could be sold in markets all over the world, copied and shared with others, regardless of who receives the content or the means by which they received it the app they use to consume it would only present it if each bit of the data was a verbatim copy of the data made available by the publisher. So in such a context, there would be no limit to the reach of digital Bibles in text, audio, and video formats. And it could scale at almost no cost, all in a completely decentralized context and with verified authenticity of all the content. So ultimately, what is standing in our way from moving forward with this? Sometimes I think personally that a lot of people just haven't seen firsthand the theological famine in the rest of the world. I was talking to a friend recently who had never been to a place like Central Africa before 
to actually understand what the situation is like. And I was trying to help him see, you know, even if you have a product that you're going to say, okay, we're going to discount it. We're only going to charge you a dollar. The rest of the world is going to pay $500 for this product, but we'll only charge you a dollar for it. So go ahead and just put in your credit card online and, and we'll give it to you for a dollar based on your IP address or whatever. Well, the problem with that is most of the world doesn't use credit cards. And, um, you know, you wouldn't know that if you only travel in Europe and in the West and more more developed countries. But, yeah, I mean, most of the world doesn't use credit cards. And if they do have a credit card, it won't be accepted by your system or your American bank system. It's going to be a major, major obstacle for buying stuff from you online. So no matter how much you as a publisher discount what you are providing, there is no form of payment for the majority of the global church to give you unless they show up at your door with cash. So the question is, how are you going to actually help those people? How, how is that going to work? And so I don't want to be too controversial with this, but I think the way of Jesus would be to begin with those people. Begin with those people and think from the ground up from their situation, right? Isn't that what Jesus meant by going first to the poor and the sick? He didn't build a model of ministry that was based around the people that could fly in to see him the people that could travel, had the money to travel to see him, or those kinds of things. He built his ministry around the least of these, and that's what he encouraged others to do. And, you know, that's what the apostles encouraged Paul to do, and he was eager to do that. Remember uh, what he said about that? They, They only encouraged me to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And then along those lines, the content not only needs to be free, but you have to think, okay, how do those people access content? What kind of devices do they actually own or have access to? Do they have MacBooks? Do they have iPhones? Well, no. You're definitely not going to build anything for Mac or for Apple format for the rest of the world. They don't have that stuff, and they never will. And even if they could afford it, it wouldn't be useful in their context. So you have to think about these practical things. You have to get to know the context. How, how much internet access do they have? You know, I was telling this guy in Equatorial Guinea, um, data is extremely expensive. Most people do not have internet at home. They have data on their phones, but they only use it for WhatsApp, for text messages, very low bandwidth things that aren't going to use up a lot of credit because it's all pay-as-you-go phone credit. You don't have an unlimited plan of any kind available to you. And so people are very poor and they're dealing with these monopolized phone networks that are charging them an arm and a leg for every minute they call. You know, I've told this to a lot of people. I could literally take a taxi to go see someone in Equatorial Guinea for less money than it would be for a five-minute local phone call to that person. Imagine that. So you have to think, how can these people go to an internet cafe and pay a dollar for a half an hour of access to moderate speed internet and get what you are offering? What you're offering can't be massive files for them to download and take forever. Just a real practical, simple example. Back in the day, people used to 
export and upload their sermons at around 64 kilobytes per second. 64 kilobytes per second is more than enough to hear all the nuances and quality of the human voice as spoken word as opposed to singing or music. So they used to upload very small files. If you go back to, you know, 2002, a sermon from 2002 that was uploaded by John Piper or something, you can download that and it's going to be an extremely small file. What are they doing nowadays? Just because they assume that everybody, because they're in America, everybody has incredibly fast internet to be able to download now like a 50 megabyte file as opposed to a 5 megabyte file. They just do it because they can. So they're like, wow, it must be better if I upload higher quality audio, then that automatically means we're providing a better service to people. Well, that's actually not true. Because of the rest of the world, that's going to be a huge stumbling block because, number one, they're not going to have fast enough internet to download that within a reasonable amount of time. And number two, they're not going to have enough storage space on their phone or on their USB drive to store it. And of course, all this was done innocently. But it's just a lack of forethought, I think, on a part of the people who are producing these materials. They just haven't actually gone to these places and walked a mile in the shoes of these people to try to understand where they're coming from, how they live, before they go back home and design the strategy of their ministry around that. So let me just throw out this plea to Christian ministries based in the West. Please, please, walk a mile in the shoes of the least of these in their context, like literally in their context, not like have somebody go over and give you a summary of what it's like. Go there, live there for a while, know what it's like, experience it, experience the frustrations that the local people experience with technology and everything else, and then go back and build your ministry strategy around what you experience there. I would say that 95% of missions-minded Americans who I have spoken to who have not done this, they do not, they do not really grasp this issue. And I see them moving forward with ideas and strategies that are irrelevant because they have not done the hard work of experiencing the frustrations of the least of these around the globe. And this kind of thing takes time. It takes time to actually walk in somebody's shoes. You're going to have to spend a little more time than a three-day visit. Uh, Not even a week is going to be enough. You're going to have to be there a good, solid, you know, two, three weeks, a month would be better, and just live with their limitations. Don't come there with your thousands of dollars as an American, staying at a nice hotel, and getting the best access to everything that you can because you can. Impose their limitations on yourself, and then you'll actually know how to build a strategy that serves them. That serves them. I just want to reemphasize that. We're not trying to just serve everyone in the walled garden of the rich West. We're trying to serve the least of these. How can we be a good Samaritan in this new global digital age? Now, What are some of the most urgent needs? We need 
faithful Bible translations in contemporary forms of every language in text and audio formats. Number two, we need Bible study notes that illuminate the historical, cultural, social, geographic, economic, linguistic, and ecological context of the Old and New Testaments. We need that. Number three, we need Bible dictionaries, encyclopedias, charts, and maps, things that we take for granted nowadays. And then fourth, we need original language resources, including Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic grammars, lexicons, and training materials. We also need church planting, evangelism, and discipleship resources. And then finally, we need leadership development resources that implement a cost-effective, decentralized approach to theological training and character formation. So, my plea to you, if you are a provider of these resources, a publisher, if you own these kinds of resources, please consider making them available to the global church under a Creative Commons attribution share-alike international license. This will immediately make it possible for church network leaders to begin translating them into the gateway languages of the world, where they will be accessible to the entire global church for use and translation as needed into any other language. This is much more than merely an appeal for charity on behalf of the entire global church. This is an invitation to far greater global influence than could otherwise be possible. So this is not begging for charity. This is an invitation to be part of a joyful experience of reaching far more people than we could ever have imagined before. One of the most significant limitations that prevents exponential scale is the desire to control. So rather than attempting to protect content by restricting and controlling how widely it's made available, you have an opportunity to change things entirely by open licensing your content for global impact. And of course, at this point, it would be fitting to quote Paul in 2 Corinthians 9. He says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. 
As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift. Too wonderful for words. Organizations that exist to create and distribute content may soon find themselves at a point where they need to make significant decisions about their model for ministry. And what some people have observed is that you can no longer assume that people will eagerly fund the creation of content that is going to be restricted. So it's not very safe anymore to assume that you will get funding by donors if you continue with the old paradigm, basically. If the transition to a free and open paradigm is in fact rapidly picking up speed, then it's actually in your best interest as a content creator to learn how to thrive in this new paradigm now before it's required by donors who suddenly realize that they only thought they were funding free and open biblical content all along. This may turn out to be the kind of paradigm shift that appears to not be happening at all until suddenly everything changes. Leaders who see this coming have an opportunity to get ahead of the curve by aligning their organizations with the world of the future before it arrives, rather than attempting in vain to hold on to legacy funding models of the past. Now, I also want to make a plea to scholars and academic institutions here. Every year, as we know, seminaries and Bible colleges producing vast amounts of excellent teaching guides and study aids and all kinds of theological education materials. Even the students at these institutions have an immense content creation potential. So my plea is to you, leaders of these institutions, please harness both of these things to provide immensely helpful biblical resources under open licenses for use by the global church. So these could include, for instance, number one, interlinked Bible study notes for every book of the Bible tagged to the original languages, and number two, general theological training resources that provide high-level instruction, for example, New Testament surveys, the message of the minor prophets, etc. And then finally, advanced theological training resources that go into detail on particular topics like the Jewish concept of the Sabbath, the Pauline understanding of the role and function of church elders. And finally, I want to plead with donors about this issue. You know, in 2017, one of the largest grant makers for public education made a pivotal change in their funding policy. The U.S. Department of Education mandated that, by default, recipients of competitive grants must make them available under an open license, usually Creative Commons attribution, and have a plan to publicly disseminate educational resources and other works created with grant funds. Here's the reason that they give for this change. They say, we believe that educational opportunities should be available to all learners. Creating an open educational ecosystem involves making learning materials, data, and educational opportunities available without restrictions imposed by copyright laws, access barriers, or exclusive proprietary systems 
that lack interoperability and limit the free exchange of information, end quote. And I would add, you know, forgive me for saying this, I would add that shame on us if the U.S. Department of Education is beating us to the punch of this kind of radical generosity in educational resources. These same kinds of policy changes are needed in the domain of biblical content. So please, if you're a funder, if you're a donor, fund these kinds of initiatives. The Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University studied the use of open licenses by private foundations and concluded, Based on the information and findings from our survey and the powerful lessons of the open access and OER experiences reviewed above, we conclude that the use of open content licenses for works created by foundation grantees, as well as foundations' own work products and those of their consultants, would provide substantial benefits to foundations in achieving their charitable goals and missions, end quote. So secular publishers are discovering, contrary to their worst fears, that releasing content they create under open licenses does not necessarily result in their demise or loss of influence. To the contrary, and somewhat ironically, those who give away their best content tend to greatly increase their influence, though they may need to adjust their business model in the process. So once again, fund the people who are doing this. And if the people you are funding are not doing this, please graciously, decisively ask them to do it. So in conclusion, the free and open movement is already happening in several parts of the world and even in the secular world. We are in the midst of an urgently needed transition as biblical knowledge and the ability to study the Bible in detail and in the original languages ceases to be the exclusive privilege of the few and often the affluent. Those who are the legal owners of these resources have an incredible opportunity to bless the global church in every people, group, and language. The way forward requires trusting that God will continue to protect his word and then letting go of the legal right to control how others use it. As always, thank you so much for joining me. It means a lot that you would take the time to listen to these discussions. And if you would, if you find this interesting and edifying, please share it with others and leave a review. That's a great way to encourage me to keep this going. Once again, here at Working for the Word, we believe that the Bible is a unified, God-breathed, God-centered, hope-giving book, sweeter than honey and pointing to Jesus. This podcast exists ultimately to help you treasure the Bible, go deeper into it, and become like the man of Psalm 1. 